Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. On this week's episode, I think we've got a real treat in store for you. Today's guest is Dr. Ken View, Dr. V as he's known. Now, Dr. V envisions a world full of healthy humans who are fully contributing their gifts to humanity with vibrant health and vitality. His vision not only stems from the miraculous recoveries he has witnessed as a physician, but from overcoming chronic disease himself. Dr. V immigrated to the United States from Vietnam. His initial encounter with illness was an infant boat refugee in the Philippines when he nearly died of dysentery. After surviving eight months on a boat and another three months in a Philippine refugee camp, he arrived in the US with his parents with no money. Overcoming poverty and racism, he became a successful physician. However, at the pinnacle of his success, he became overweight and developed hypertension, diabetes, and was on several prescription medications. There was a life-changing moment when one of his patients reminded him of the gift of life and the power of choice, which put him on the path of healing himself. Once a minimally invasive surgeon, he is now passionate health and human optimization champion, TEDx speaker, and best-selling author of The Thrive State, Your Blueprint for Optimal Health, Longevity, and Peak Performance. As one of the most sought-after anti-aging physicians in the country, Dr. V regularly works with celebrities, executives, and organizations to optimize their health, performance, and vitality so that they can serve with purpose at their highest potential. Dr. V enthusiastically shares his mass message on national TV shows such as The Doctors and Access Hollywood, keynote stages such as Whole Foods and the Biohacking Conference, and as well as with the next generation of physicians as assistant clinical professor at UCLA. Let's hear what he had to say. Hello and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. And today I have with me Dr. Ken View, uh, based out of Los Angeles, I understand. That's correct. Uh, some people know me as Dr. V and it's a pleasure to be on. Dr. V, yes. I was, uh, I've got to plug it right now. Um, I recently just finished reading your book, Thrive State, and I see you've got copies uh, there behind you. And obviously there's lots of references to Dr. V. So I was sure, oh, do I call him Ken? Do I call him Dr. V? Do I call him Dr. V? So actually, what is it? How would you like me to reference you? Ideally? Whatever makes you feel like I'm your best friend. Ken. For me, it's always that first name. If I can call you by yeah. your first name, if I can call you by what your, you know, your mum calls you, even better, but I don't know what that would be. Um, so going back to it, um, we met very recently at the Biohacking Conference in Los Angeles, and um, you're up on stage, you're one of the keynote speakers, and um, listening to your story, I found it very inspirational. Um, a lot of it, there was a lot of analogies to my own upbringing in sense of, uh, you know, an Asian upbringing, pressures to achieve and everything. Uh, however, I think, whereas... I think your success has come out of necessity. I think I'll rightfully say, because we're going to hear a little bit about it. Mine didn't, but they're very similar pathways in terms of achieving something and realizing that there's more to life and actually finding out a purpose. So yeah. as I spoke in the intro, I mentioned that actually you were a refugee. So can we just start a little bit back then? Just describe what is it that you went through? Well, absolutely. I don't actually have a lot of clear memories from that, but you know, I hear uh, stories from my my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents. My parents talk about it all the time. They were actually Chinese immigrants mm -hmm. uh, in Vietnam. So back in the nineteen early nineteen twenties, my grandparents uh, fled China because Japan was bombing China at the time, and so they found refuge in Vietnam. So in Vietnam, there was a small Chinese community. 
But growing up Chinese in Vietnam, they were persecuted against um, as people who were different. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I was born, I was born, what, 1979. It was a couple years after the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was they actually seized a bunch of businesses that were down there. Um, they basically took over the entire currency. So basically everything you had belonged to this new government. And my parents knew that there was, wasn't going to be a future for me over there. And so they basically traded all their belongings and uh, escaped on a refugee boat. So I was on a boat, you know, packed like sardines with 2,000 other refugees. In fact, mm -hmm. I was the only infant to survive. Uh, people fell off the boat. People died of dysentery. I had dysentery. Um, and uh, after being on that boat for eight months, we were in a Philippine refugee camp for another three months. And then we were sponsored to America by a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. And one would think, you know, after going through that, a kid growing up uh, in America would, be, would feel so grateful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for everything that, that he has and for being alive. But you know, I was looking at the, the the media that was on TV. I was looking at my peers in the schools. And, you know, growing up, I was constantly being teased for, for the holes in my hand-me-down clothes, for the Asian food my, my parents sent me to school with. I got a lot of go back to your home country, all these things. And, and I just remember, wow, why am I so different? You know, why can't my parents speak like the other parents why can't we afford the yeah. toys the things the other kids had why do we have to live in this neighborhood and uh you know i didn't have access to that gratitude in fact you know how i grew up i just didn't want to be me mm. i just wanted to be something different and i created a life that that would uh reflect that not knowing that that life that's created that life that's not myself that life mm. that is not incongruent of who I am as a soul, as a human being, mm -hmm. uh, actually give me disease later on. I mean, you hear stories this day and age, especially we get it in the UK, where you see children being bullied and actually with the prevalence of social media, actually it can lead to suicides, mental health issues. And to be honest, it's bullying in this day and age probably isn't, it's probably worse than it was back in my day, back in your day. But what actually got you through it? I mean, did you have friends? Was there any kind of support to help you through it at the time? I don't think there was any support. I, I, I think the way I tried to get through it was um, to try to fit in and to try to give myself, you know, um, some leg up. And so that's why I created a very boisterous and loud personality. That's mm -hmm. why at the age of five, I sounded like Sean Connery because <laughs> I, didn't want to, I did not want to speak like a Chinese guy with an accent, right? I didn't want to look like that. And so I created myself and I remember molding my voice to not speak with an accent ever. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I felt like doing well in school and having uh, a sense of humor and being able to charm people, that was how I would fit in. Okay. And, um, did you, know, you that, that, go ahead. Did you lose a part of yourself in doing that? I would, I, I would say so. I, I, I would say part of it was me. However, it was a mask that I felt the burden ha of had having to put on every time I was uh, out in public. And I needed uh -huh. to be certain ways, you know, um, and behave a certain way and give mm -hmm. off a certain image, and. Although parts of it were, were were me, people didn't, you know, people didn't see the pain of, uh, of not really feeling like like I fit in. People didn't yeah. see the pain of not feeling like I like I belonged. Mm -hmm. And 
feel the not enoughness or the the unworthiness that I was feeling inside. I can imagine. I mean, I'm I'm a few years older than you. Um, I when I was growing up in school, I think I was one of three other kids of brown color. Yeah, and um, I, I can I can fortunately say, even to this day. I could probably count the number of racist incidents towards me on one hand. In fact, I, I can't even realistically remember any. And any that there were there, I'd pass off as humour because I would get called things like Racky the Packy because it <laughs> rhymed. But, but but the thing was, it didn't irritate me. What irritated me more was, but I would think to myself, but I'm not Pakistani, I'm Indian. Uh, you know, so it, yeah. it was it was more of an annoyance that these people are a bit stupid and uh, and I felt sorry for them. And uh, and obviously my surname is Rana. So it rhymes with banana. So I'd say Rana. Yeah. Banana. I'm like, yeah, that's quite clever. You know, it was it was weird. And and here's the thing. And I, I in hindsight, I've kind of reflected on why I'm like that. It's 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 one of your bioenergetics, actually. It's about the reframing. It's about yeah. how you, it's your mindset. And for me, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to reframe everything to a positive uh, and, I've, and I don't know what that is whether that's genetic or what or environment but I've been very fortunate thankfully so there may have been loads of racist incidents but I think a lot of them just literally went over my head I think but I've got to say one thing the Chinese for me my hero growing up was Bruce Lee and still is uh-huh. the number of times I've seen his movies and to me if you had been around me at the time of me growing up you would have been my hero <laughs> Just because you were Chinese, and I would just assume you were a black belt at Kung Fu. That's my stereotypical nature coming in there. But that's how we grew up back in my day in the 70s, that any Chinese person you don't mess with because they're martial artists. <laughs> well, I, I wish I knew some martial arts, and I could still be your hero now. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, very much so. So, okay, you pushed yourself, you know, through necessity to, to, to do what you wanted to do. You got into medicine. And again, was that pushed? Was that an expectation of your family? I would probably say, you know, I got that a lot. I, I I always wanted to probably be in the media or in the entertainment space. And unfortunately, uh, at the time, uh, either you knew martial arts and you can do stuff like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan, which I did not know how to do, or you were a caricature, you know, like a nerd or, or somebody with buck teeth or, you know, people remember the movie Breakfast from Tiffany's where Mickey Rooney played the role of a Japanese person with a very thick accent. Mm -hmm. And um didn't really feel that that really depicted Asians very well then and nice. so uh I desired to do that but I didn't think there was an opportunity for me to do so and so even though I wanted to do entertainment my parents were like look you know that's great as a hobby um you're not going to make a living doing this and we didn't travel uh with you across uh oceans <laughs> for you to do that and so you know I had this joke in my TED talk my mom gave me three choices she, she said you could be a doctor, a physician, or an MD. It's still <laughs> at medical school. I was given similar pressures, I must admit, and um, I went through a circuitous route to become a doctor. Um, you know, but, you know that, that's what it happened. So, going into that and having read your book and reading, you know, watching some of your talks as well, it wasn't all fun and glory once you became the doctor. Once you got that job and the work. No, it wasn't. I mean, you get sort of, you know, kind of programmed along the way, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in your youth, you probably pick up beliefs and mindsets from your parents, from your teachers and things like that. And going through medical school, uh, you pick up the mindset and, 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 and training of the people who are above you. Uh, and it's really 
you know, devote yourself to your patient, uh, put your, you know, do whatever it takes to succeed. It means, you know, spending, you know, late nights, you know, rounding your patients and doing all these things, late night studying, you know, sleep was for the week and all these things. And, and you pick, pick those things up and, and certainly, you know, what's a few of the mentors I had at the time, it was really, how do you become, you know, the, how do you, you know, achieve success as a doctor? Well, I mean, you work hard, you, you, you put yourself in a position to, to become chief at your hospital someday, mm-hmm. all those things. And I remember when I first graduated, that's, that's how I, that's how I was acting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I became section chief of interventional radiology at my hospital, but at that time I was super burnt out, super tired, mm-hmm. overweight, diabetic, had high blood pressure, and it was on prescription medications. And I said to myself, wow, medical school didn't really prepare me to not be well or to be well, right? Um, and I was unwell as a medical doctor, actually treating people uh, now with the early stage conditions mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, I, I treated later on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I felt, you know, I honestly felt like a fraud at that point. It's, I mean, imposter syndrome, more often than not happens with everybody and anybody it could happen at any point as well, no matter how well you're doing. Um, but there was a turning point, wasn't there? There was a point I remember you saying in the talk that it was that light bulb moment where you thought you've got to change it up. If you could just yeah. let us know what that was. You know, I think everybody has some story of rock bottom. And, you know, certainly I, I don't think people need to hit rock bottom to wake up. It's, but it's certainly uh, a point where people are like, you know, life as I know it isn't, doesn't seem to be working. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my old programming was, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I need to do these things outside of myself. I need to attain degrees. I need to achieve a certain bank account, have a certain car, a certain house uh, for me to attain that. And that's how I live my life. Mm. And in one year, all those things were tested. You know, um, I was in a relationship with someone I thought I was going to marry. She left me for another man. Uh, I had a close uncle pass away from, from, from cancer that I never really got a chance to say my goodbyes or connect with. I had a shoulder tear and I was told by the people who looked at me that I might not be able to operate anymore. Everything I was working my entire life for, like mm. suddenly I might not be able to do. And everything in my old programming at that time said, Jesus, your life is just really crap, isn't it? Um, and I remember I wasn't really doing any major surgeries, but I was uh, rounding on patients still. And there was a patient, same age as me, uh, that I picked up his chart for. He's this you know, pretty young guy. I think he was in his early, early 40s or so. He had terminal pancreatic cancer. And I was supposed to do a a very simple procedure where I drained 10 liters of fluid. It was like a balloon, 10 liters of fluid from his belly. And I remember wanting to brace myself to meet this guy. And and as I opened the door, I just remember this moment so vividly. It was like being hit with a wave of love and positivity. And I just remember his bright smile. His name is Ishmael. He says, Doc, I can't wait for you to drain this fluid from me because it's getting in the way of sexy time. And I just remember cracking up and I'm asking this guy who's, who's dying, how are you so positive? And he says, Dr. Vu, look, it didn't always used to be this way. I used to be you know, stressed out all the time. But the one thing I realized I have control over is how I live my life mm-hmm. and how I choose to show up. And I choose to show up with love and positivity. And 
that just really hit me mm-hmm. at that point. This guy who has this terrible disease that, you know, makes him weak and makes him emaciated still has this perspective and still mm-hmm. has this power to choose. Yeah. And that really opened up my eyes. Like, how am I currently living my life? And have I really been making choices? And the more I thought about it, I was like, wow, I, I've been living this life of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Choices that I've been programmed to make to think, you know, what is success and all these things. And, and so mm-hmm. I just realized that I wasn't making the right choices. I didn't know at the time that, you know, what, what new choices I could make. I just knew yeah. that the pathway out was to make new choices. Yeah. And uh, he really opened up my eyes. And, and months later, I remember, you know, leaving my private practice job, mm-hmm. chief of radiology and doing a lot of deep personal work. I started studying with spiritual shamans. I went around the world to do a lot of personal development events, studying mm-hmm. with Tony Robbins, Vishen Lakhiani, Bruce Lipton, Deepak Chopra. And that really opened my, my eyes as to my approach to life in medicine, realizing in medical school, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't given the tools to under, really truly understand the body and how the body is responding to things. Well, I don't and, think anybody is. I mean, I, I, I guess in in the education system this day and age we're not preparing any the kids for life really whether it's your physical health your mental health your financial health any kind of health really it's really just do this and hopefully get a job that you might be interested in or push you right. down certain so you're right it's, it's it's we do we do get a lot of that and like I said, I mentioned before, it's something I went through myself. And I guess in, what I'm interested to hear about is, and this is something when I'm working with my clients, is part of it is they have this feeling something's not right. Through coaching, they hit that light bulb moment. Yours was, you know, you, you met your patient. With yeah. my clients, it could be through questioning that, that that light bulb moment kind of pops into their head and they realize they need to do something different. Yeah. However, the next bit I think is even harder. It's taking that first step. What was your first step to change and how, how did you do it? How did you Because there's one thing about knowing something, yeah. but it's completely different than actually taking action. Right. It was just uh, opening my life to new perspectives. I, you know, I don't know if you guys have Landmark yes. uh, over in England, yes, but you know, I, I did that um, and it, it, it gave me a new perspective in yeah. life. Uh, I then went to uh, AFES with my with Mind Valley, yes, and I started to study with you know really you know thought leaders in the mm-hmm. health, wellness, and spirituality space, and so mm-hmm. I just had all this new information. I'm like, okay, well, how do I apply it? Mm-hmm. And the easiest thing for me to do at the time was just like, okay, well, you know what, I can probably get rid of sugar and processed foods. I could probably devote better time to sleep, and I could start moving. Yeah. And it was just just the very basic things that you know to do. And, 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 and I stuck to it and I created a habit from it. In a very short period of time, I actually re- reversed my diabetes. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, what else can I do? And I, I, and, and I noticed as I started to do those things, I started to feel different. I started to have more energy. I started to feel better. I started to feel alive. And then I started to carry that energy into different areas of my life, realizing that as I started to make one change mm. and, and turned it into a habit, my biology, my feeling, my my life force started to change. Yeah. And, and that's what made me do a real deep dive in the work of of epigenetics. Yeah. And to start to study, you know, how how our choices shape our biology. Completely. And yeah. the biggest thing that I, I started to to learn 
um, is, you know, there's so many medicines that are out there, prescription meds, there's stem cells now, all these different things that I call the science of longevity. Mm -hmm. But the I learned most where people live the longest, that how we live our life is medicine. Yeah. And it actually creates the choices that we make in, in, in five particular areas of life that we talk about in the book or in the book, I talk, I call it seven things, but, but sleep, nutrition, and movement, I, I put in the physical realm, yeah. but how we live our, our life in these areas actually creates molecular changes in the biology of our cells. And that actually influences our DNA, which then affects our biology, our health, our performance and our longevity. Completely. I completely agree. Like I said, having read, read your book, it was, I mean, I've gone through a, you reference it in your book as well. There's a lot of self-help books out there. And uh, to be honest, I actually have stopped reading them um, because I find a lot of it, the material is very repetitive. But the one thing I loved about yours was it's exactly, it's, it's what I've been living. And that was the other thing. None of, none of it was a surprise to me. So right. what I would say is nothing was new, but what was great about it was how simply enough you explained it, but how it was backed by studies. And being a scientist, that's yeah. what really, you know, for me, that was like, yes, nobody can argue against this. There's the backing. This is where it's been proved. Because there's a lot of times, you know, people will say it's all snake oil or it's just a theory, but, you know, this this is proof in the, the proof is in the pudding and the proof is in the pudding in you and in me, because I, I think I mentioned to you my own transformation last year by adopting a lot of this. So talking about it, so a lot of this is quite new because the book only came out last year. So mm -hmm. when when did this change for you actually happen? How many years has it been now? Not long, has it? Four years? No, it hasn't been a you know, it hasn't been long. I would probably say uh, about four or five years now. Yeah. Okay. Really about maybe six years ago that that yeah. I got that chronic disease diagnosis. Okay. But what I what I love what I'm loving what I love about this now is you've now become the teacher. Whereas once you were the student, you know, going to like I said uh, A first, Mind Valley, going to all of these things where you've positioned yourself now is well you're the expert people are coming to you for that knowledge and you're inspiring people to make that change and i think that's the journey of success you know for me outwardly that's what i'm seeing as success yeah. what are you defining as your success right now oh that's a great question well my my definition of success is to recognize the abundance that i have within me in every single moment to be able to be in this present moment and recognize what a gift it is to be alive and that um you know every moment is teaching me something <laughs> and so for the people who are listening out there right now uh who might be going through a struggle you could they could just look at your life and my life and, and, and to realize that these obstacles these struggles these challenges whatever the, the lowest point is for you is a gift because the universe is asking that that thing in front of you other people have as well. And as you do the work to overcome that thing, you're going to become a stronger version of yourself, a more resilient person, mm -hmm. version of yourself and somebody with a gift to share with other people. And so, um, yeah, now, now I look at my life, uh, as, as just that. And, and don't get me wrong. There are things that trigger me all the time, Yeah. but when they do, I, I recognize, Oh my God, I'm just, I just got triggered. What was that trigger? Where is that coming from? Oh, uh, you know, maybe it was that belief. Can, Isn't it great I, to be in that space, though? I'm willing to give it up. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty amazing. So here's the other thing: success can be achieved up by ourselves. But I know with the great amount of success you're having, and you will go on to achieve, it comes with having some sort of an accountability partner or some sort of support structure. 
where is that or who is that for you? Um, I'm guessing would... this is being very presumptuous of me, by the way, but I, I, I just so you can get you can become a success to a certain level, but when you hit the heights you're hitting, you've got to have a team or somebody around you that's helping you accountability. No, yeah, you're you're completely right, and we definitely need that, and not not only as an accountability. I think that's very important, also. But the people you surround your, yourself with, they come with energy and information. Mm -hmm. They come with their own thought, their own mindsets, the, the way they do things, and they, it comes with an energy. You know, Jim Rohn says we're we're the average of the five people we hang out with most, and yeah. why is that? Well, we pick up their mindset, their habits, their energy. And so uh, for me, initially, it was, um, you know, I reference him in my book, Eric, the trainer mm. uh, was a trainer that 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 I got. I, I started to do some of the training myself. But once I once I teamed up with him, I mean, he's a guy who was just very generous, very giving. Um, and every morning we get at it, we move our physical bodies and, you know, we add his positivity yeah. um, and nudging us to do better <laughs> for that. And so, uh, you know, he's been like the best, you know, accountability for me and, you know, the other people in my life, you know, some people expect me to say my fiance, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she's been great too. Uh, and she's also been a very valuable teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our relationship is such that it's super messy. Uh, and she triggers the hell out of me <laughs> and makes me want to react. <laughs> And it is that that I get to continuously practice yeah. what I teach. Yep. Well, I I'm reacting. Yep. Right. Can I show up a little bit differently? Can I still show up with love? Can I understand yeah. and become more curious as to why she's reacting the way she is? Can yeah. I become curious instead of judging her for yeah. reacting that way? And if so, um, you know, can I serve her or be there in, in, in a different way? Not now, now having a bigger lens to be able to work with. And so uh, we've been great. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the way to build a relationship because it's, you know, people can look at successful marriages, long-term relationships, but it's never an upward trajectory. It's ups and downs, but it's how you get through those. Um, to be honest, it then makes you stronger because you're growing from them. It's like you said, getting out of your comfort zone is where the growth is. So even within a relationship, if I had gotten probably my ideal relationship in terms of, you know, all the boxes are checked, I probably wouldn't be able to live my message as much as I would, as I do. And and honestly, I think being able to share our relationship yeah. a little bit more vulnerably in the future will let people understand how mess relationships yeah. can be. Not, not necessarily to run away from the mess, but how you can see yourself a little bit deeper, understand your partner a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And to approach the relationship with more consciousness and awareness, yeah, and uh, and use that as as an opportunity for growth. Well, there's that, and I love the fact in your book that uh, as married folk and or long term relationships uh, tend to live longer as well. So that's a positive. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um. So, what's next for you, Ken? What What's next? What's What's your next level? I always say this. Um, we're only thinking at the level of knowledge we're at. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So when I'm working with my clients, they will come to me with a goal or what is it they want to achieve. And for some reason, I'm always able to think even bigger and better for them. Uh, you know, I'll, you know, if, if, if I'm if I'm coaching an actress, she'll want to maybe get the next role. I'm like, don't you want to get an Oscar? She hasn't even thought of it because actually the next hurdle is getting that next role rather than. Yeah. You know, yeah. achieving that, you know, that's so far beyond. But I, but I always think, well, that's surely that's where you need to aim for and become the person 
who's capable of that. So the yeah. question to you is, have you even given that thought or is life just, are you enjoying the ride at the moment? Oh, no. I mean, I, I want to, you know, win Oscars and Emmys and things like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, the next the, the next thing for me is to do more media and entertainment and use media and entertainment as the Trojan horse to really de deliver this message yeah. that that the the power to activate your biology for you to perform at your best, for you to have optimal health so you can go out there and become the superhero version of yourself is not in medications. It's not these things out there. It's right here within you. Yeah. And I want to get that message out to as many people as possible. And I think media and entertainment is something I've wanted to do as a child. And, yeah. and not only that I feel reflects the, the gifts I can give to the world, but, mm -hmm. but I also, you know, after I gave that, that, that speech at the biohacking conference, I remember so many Asian people coming up to me and saying, Oh my God, you know what? I haven't seen somebody that represents our culture up on that stage, giving the talk that you're, that, wow. that you're making. I've heard the doctor talk or I heard some science talks and things like that, but, but not in that way. And, mm -hmm. and when I heard that, I was, I was just re reminded that, you know, I'd like to be able to, um, you know, share a little bit of the diversity that we have in the world, mm. um, that media space as well. And so, yeah. and so that, that, that's what's next for me. Well, so here we go. So my mind's already racing. I'm already thinking of a Netflix show that I'm going to be seeing you on. So, you know, <laughs> but here's the thing. This is, this is how the world works though, isn't it? It's, it's that law of attraction. You put your mind to it, start manifesting. And I guess you're, you know, you're placed in the best place you can be in terms of the entertainment world. Uh, you're in Los Angeles. So, uh, I guess, you know, you, you've got it there on your doorstep. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned something earlier about uh, asking your clients about the goal. You know, mm -hmm. we are, we, unless we're conscious of it, we're basically running off of programming that yes. we pick up as, as children. And if you want to design your dream life, you have to put yourself in a state where, where you're beyond your old programming. Mm -hmm. So old programming for some people might make you slouch over or not think good thoughts and things like that. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to you know, design this dream version of yourself with that old programming and frequency. There's an energetic, there's a frequency and your thoughts are going to go in that direction. It might just be that next role. Yeah. But, you know, the, the things that I talk about is these five things I talk about in my book. So it's the physical, mental, social, spiritual, and emotional realms that each one of those things are levers to actually activate your, your biology, your, mm -hmm. your, your energy, the way you feel. And so put yourself in that position. Maybe you need to travel out to, to an area that, that you're not familiar with. Yeah. You need to activate your body by maybe yeah. using some qigong or some laughter yoga yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and really put yourself in that state. Yeah. And then from that state, start designing. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and, and then really have that clear picture and vision of who you want to be yeah. there. Because I guarantee you it's different from what you can create for yourself mm -hmm. from old pro. No, I, I completely agree. And I guess that's why when people come to me with a goal, I, I all already know it's not going to be the goal that they're going to go on to achieve because it's through exploration. It's through those sessions where they start opening up and they yeah. ex start experience more things. And then they realize, ah, OK, uh, limited thinking. So, you know, the whole self-limiting beliefs and all that kind of stuff and reframing it all comes in. It just opens up to a wide world. Um, Ken, I want to say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. But before we leave, Look, you're heading down this route of branching out. And as I mentioned to you, a lot of the listeners of this podcast tend to be people who are either entrepreneurs in business, uh, but also looking for people to inspire them to succeed. What, what would you say one key message is to people that are looking to 
be successful in life. And again, I'm not equating success with wealth. Whatever yeah. they define their success to be, how do you get them to maybe discover their success? And mm, yes, yes. Well, I mean, one of the things I realized is I had things backwards, right? I thought I needed to have in order to be successful. But all those things that I had that were other people's definition of success did not make me feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people think that they need to have something to be able to do something and then finally be something when it's mm -hmm. the opposite. Yeah. Success is a feeling. Everything that we want to attain, we want to attain it because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. But you could bypass the entire thing if you just remember to be that. Yeah. I can be, you know, what I mentioned earlier, I can be successful knowing that at any moment in time, I could choose to bring up that feeling that I am blessed, that I am alive, and yeah. that I can help you. And I can feel that right now. And the more we could put ourselves in that feeling right now, mm -hmm. things that we do and the things that we have will come thereafter. Yeah. But you bypass the entire thing of needing to achieve success rather than to be success. Mm -hmm. So that's what I remind people out there that it reminds, me, it reminds me of a quote that I like to use myself is um, I think it's my own. I'll attribute it to myself. I say, I, you know, I became a success the, the day I decided to be one. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's it. And nobody else is going to define it. My success is mine and I'll define it and nobody else does it. So that's fine. Again, I want to say thank you very much for your time again. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you on. And, uh, I, you know, I look forward to meeting up in person at some point again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Ken Vu, Dr. V. I'll hope you join me next time where I'll bring you another amazing guest and we will talk about their success. Thank you. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, The Clear Coach.